Welcome to another episode of Strategy and Sourdough. Today, Honor and I have a very interesting guest. Lars Bjurge is with us today. Lars is a, a veteran, I would say, in the digital ventures and digital agency field, well over 20 years of experience in the field. Lars founded and sold his own digital agency back in the late 90s. He's also lived and worked around the world, having spent nine years in China and a number of years in Singapore now. He spent uh, time in digital media in China across different industries like finance, telecom, auto, and the like. And today, Lars is the co-founder of the Scale Factory, who helped disruptive tech brands to grow in Asia. And he's also an angel investor, investing both privately as well as through the Scale Factory. Welcome to the show, Lars. Thank you. Pleasure being here. So we often talk about what we can do to help different startups around the world. And, and obviously, your background skews pretty heavily to the business-to-business world, helping different technology providers, for example, that provide disruptive tech solutions to other companies around the world. I think a good starting point would be to look at an interesting question that we often ask ourselves, which is, for B2B startups particularly, the role of brand. What do you think is the role of brand and the role of brand marketing for, for B2B-focused startups? It's a great question. I mean, I think for a B2B tech startup, the first question you have to ask yourself is, will the world become a better place with my product in the market, right? And that's actually the question that we ask ourselves before we start working with any of the the startups out there. Because the fact is that if you have a, a great product, then your brand is your product, which is the experience, right? The first thing you have to do if you're thinking about branding is to make sure that everything ties together with the actual uh, experience and the solution that you're providing into the market. And if you're providing a solution for something that is better or different from what is there already, that means that you have uh, already the starting point for brand because you need to provide a service that makes people want to talk about you. And if you solve problems, in a good way, then people will want to talk about you. And that's where the core of branding starts. Everything else is uh, is pouring gasoline into the fire, if that makes sense. I really like this notion of, will the world become a better place with my product? And of course, the worlds that you are referring to is the world of the, the company buying this particular product mm-hmm. and, and how we can help that company succeed in other ways. But any kind of specific companies that you can talk to? Well, I can give an example for one of our clients that we worked on. It's a company called SalesScreen, and they basically provide a B2B SaaS technology that sits on top of your existing CRM, and it takes the approach that every sales rep in a company deserves to have a better experience and a better kind of uh, framework around their tasks, which are, you know, quite tough, right? You know, salespeople have to go out there every day and they have to kind of create value and the crm systems that are out there are not built for salespeople. they're built for finance managers and for kind of the c-suite of the companies we're kind of looking at salespeople as you know uh, these kind of animals to be driven through and kind of you know create results right so so sales screen came in and they kind of said we're going to start at the bottom of the uh, pyramid we're going to make life better for salespeople by creating a framework for them to have you know, better visualization of what they're doing and gamification of sales contests so that you know, the actual tedious task of sales becomes just that little bit better. 
So when we then started thinking about how can we actually make this type of product work in the market, uh, we started thinking about, you know, what are the type of organizations that probably will need this? So, you know, we, we quite immediately started thinking about banks, right? It's like, you know, big mastodont banks with like thousands and thousands of salespeople that are kind of faceless and, uh, you know, just working very hard every day. So we struck up a conversation with a few big banks in Singapore, Standard Charter Bank as one of them. We kind of started working with them and kind of seeing what would it be like if we brought this as a pilot to just a small part of your salespeople and what would we be able to see as a result of kind of bringing this kind of experience to them. And of course, what happened was initially a bit of skepticism, but finally they kind of, you know, went along with our premise that if we kind of test this on a small group of people, then we'll see what actual business results come out of it. Despite that initial skepticism, once we kind of got it into system, they saw that, you know, the salespeople that were working on the system actually really responded very positively. So tangible business results were increasing, right? Uh, And that then gave the... uh, platform to take this further and to kind of grow it into a proper business relationship. So it started with us talking to Standard Charter Bank and saying, we have this opportunity. They said, well, everyone else has spoken to us about this. We, you know, we know everything about how to kind of drive sales performance, but they hadn't had a product that actually really was geared towards the end user, right? So in this case, I think you know, sales screen is a product that is built to make life better for salespeople. When it's used, it works. But you have to get in there and you have to make sure that you actually have a pilot so that uh, you can prove your assertions with hard business facts afterwards. I really like this example, but I want to ask, uh, did you consider your experience working with Standard Chartered Bank as part of product development? so that you could get real-world feedback and improve the product? Or was it part of the sales experience so that you could make inroads into a big brand that could potentially grow your business? How did that work from the startup's point of view? So in this case, because the actual startup we're working with in this case is maybe a little bit less startup-y than other startups. I mean, they've been at it for about seven years, so they've built an amazing and very modular system that doesn't really need as much product development as as kind of modularization with the clients we're working with. So not so much in this case, but in other cases, uh, I think actually in most cases when we work with startups, our initial market uh, agitation, if you want to call it that, is really about trying to figure out if what we think the market will want is what the market actually wants, right? And that's, you know, Thomas, you said we worked together before, which is completely correct, right? We worked in with consumer marketing to a certain extent where you have a lot of hypothesis and then you kind of bring it into market and it takes a while until you get the feedback because you have big campaigns and all that kind of stuff, right? When you do business to business uh, enterprise sales, every single conversation you have is market feedback and you keep revising your go-to-market plan, you keep revising your product positioning in market to kind of see, have we actually found the right recipe to make something happen? And that's the big difference, actually, between working how we used to do in the agency and what we're doing now on the B2B enterprise sales level, which is uh, super interesting. You mentioned something interesting. It's how do you overcome skepticism? Mm. 
when it comes to these conversations. Because by nature, when you are more of a startup, your product might be new, might be a little more untested. And when you're having conversations with these really large corporations on behalf of a startup, for example, what are some of the ways that you might have overcome that early skepticism to try and pilot some of the products that you're representing on behalf of these startups? So we operate with a mental model uh, of how to go to market that we call uh, cold, warm, and X factor, right? So basically, a cold acquisition is, is when you cold call and you kind of have a machine behind it. I would recommend most startups to kind of try to figure out how you can get warm introductions to whoever you need to speak to. So first job is map out the organization, figure out who does what, where does your product fit, what is the final decision maker, what are the influencers on the road to that final decision maker. Maybe not even try to get to the final decision maker in the first instance, but map out who are the, who, who are the influencers, who might be kind of working on this, and then map out your own network or you know find people who can help you uh, to network into those influencers. Right, an influencer by influencer, I don't mean someone who's like a podcast host or, or something like this. I just mean people working in the company that are, maybe not the final decision maker, but they will have absolute, you know, product feedback and be the ones that are kind of making the things happen in the final instance. Find your own network into there. That's the best advice I can give. The difference in having a cold versus a warm introduction is astronomical. The warm introduction gets you in the door with goodwill. And that's really what you need to kind of build your, your way further in there. Especially if you're a startup, that's super important. Once you manage to get through the door with that goodwill, how do you then go on to build a pilot program within the company? How do you set the goals for that? How do you keep it manageable and yet tangible for the company so that they can see the value of the product? Well, you got to understand the business you're in. That's the first uh, step, right? So if you've built a product that's meant to change something in an organization, then presumably you also understand the uh, the business context that you're operating in. So for example, in the case of sales screen, which is very much about sales management, you have to understand, you know, what are the KPIs that this particular company is driving after? How are the different KPIs set together? How are they performing today? Where do they have their weak spots, right? So you kind of got to go into this with a bit of a forensic understanding of the business case that you're trying to solve for. If you do that, then you can also put together a pilot proposal that is actually addressing those particular issues. And I think that's also something that's worthwhile using your advisors, you know, people in your network that might be savvy for that particular um, industry, that category, get all your ducks in a row before you have these conversations. And then it might be possible to kind of move ahead much faster than you otherwise would have been able to, if that makes sense. I'm going to circle back into this brand conversation that we kind of started off with, right? Assuming that we're in a, in a position now of mapping the, the organization to try and find some of those warm connections, those warm introductions that you mentioned. Mm. What do you think the role of the B2B startups or the startup that's selling to B2B companies brand is in that? Meaning that, you know, do these introductions need to be people who actually heard about us before? And, and what might the sort of impact be if, if that is the case? So in my mind, brand has a lot of different meanings, right? As we talked about earlier. So you have to kind of unpack brand a little bit. So I said, you know, brand is experience. The, the next step from experience is reputation, right? 
having a reputation for something is super important. That kind of leads you into positioning because positioning is just a, a very focused reputation, right? And then once you have that, then talkability is important. And then after that, you might start even thinking about other types of advertising and that kind of stuff, right? But it definitely starts there. And yeah, the more people have heard of you in advance, the better it is, obviously. Asking someone to recommend you without them knowing about you. I mean, for the most part, in my own situation, people recommend companies to work with either because we present the company to them first, so they kind of get a buy-in that it's actually not something that will destroy their reputational capital if they provide a warm lead, right? Or they have heard about it before. So I don't think there's a shortcut there. Even the people that you want to recommend you to other people, you have to sell them first. You have to you know, give time, take them through it, and let them know why it's worth their while on the one side, but also why it won't destroy the reputation, right? Because you know, if someone comes and asks me, hey, Lars, can you recommend this company to Thomas because I think it's going to be good for him? I will only recommend it if I think it's going to be helpful for Thomas, right? If I think you're going to think it's shit, then that, <laughs> you know, that impacts me negatively the next time again, right? So that's very important. You have to consider the relational capital for everyone in your value chain when you're kind of dealing with these things. This sounds like a lot of work. I mean, figuring out the companies and making inroads. I was just looking at a research that LinkedIn B2B Marketing Institute did recently, and they concluded that actually even for B2B brands, it might make more sense to go broad at the market rather than be very specific and targeted. I'm curious, what are your points of view on that? And especially for startups, when you have limited number of people who can focus on identifying the right stakeholders and establishing the relationships with them and building the reputation, which is why I said it's a lot of work. What's the right approach that is it better to focus and invest your time and energy in where you think you can make the maximum impact or try to build a better reputation in the broader marketplace in the hopes that it will eventually translate into business results? I think it really depends on what type of focus you have, right? So if you're a B2B enterprise with long sales cycles and you know a specific product that you're trying to focus on in a value chain, then probably it's still worthwhile to go direct. But if you're expanding and you have built this into more of a SaaS self-service model into the SME part of the landscape, then you definitely have to go broader and then it becomes more a question of, you know, how do I start with identifying those parts of the audience that are actively looking for a solution that I have to provide through search, et cetera. And then how do I kind of throw fuel to that fire by taking that level of, of keywords and expanding it into other types of marketing. But we tend to work more heavy B2B enterprise uh, focus. So for us, and just for context, we tend to work with companies that come out of Europe, land into Asia, and they have absolutely no history or no background here in the enterprise B2B space. So that's kind of uh, where we're coming from. Yeah, so essentially a lot of the companies that you help, their brand awareness would be relatively low in Asia anyway. Basically starting from, from zero, yeah. Is there another, you mentioned earlier when we kind of switched our conversation a little bit into a different direction, but I'd love to, if there is a particular example, in addition to sales screen that you could talk to on how you 
kind of helped from that point zero to establish a bit of credibility in the market for these B2B startups. And then kind of how you went about doing that, that would be very helpful, I believe, for our listeners. So I've spent a lot of time working on a company called Kavai, uh, which is a um, conversational advertising company. We say that it's uh, the love child of a chatbot and an ad. So basically, Kavai delivers ads programmatically sorry, chatbots programmatically uh, through uh, the programmatic value chain. So you can deliver, you know, hundreds of millions of chatbots to where people are in the media landscape. As with Salespeed, when they got here, they, they basically had no brand awareness. No one knew who they were. So, yeah, it was a long slog of evangelization. We kind of tried to get in in multiple different ways, something that had been very eagerly pursued in Europe, Asian buyers weren't really that eager to kind of trial. Uh, so what we did then was we actually had a little bit of brainstorm. We, we realized that in Asia, this is not going to be about conversational advertising. It's going to be about conversational commerce. And then we worked really hard to get uh, Lazada on site. And we kind of suggested to Lazada that we could create a new advertising product for them sitting on their website that kind of gave a new experience that they hadn't previously had. So with that, we kind of um, have now moved into a pilot with Lazada called Conversational Brand Zone because it's been very hard for other kind of ad tech vendors to crack uh, doing anything with Lazada. The fact that we're doing this with them has given us instant credibility with a lot of the different agencies out there. So now... Instead of us chasing the agencies, the agencies are a bit chasing us because we kind of managed to put something together that wasn't there in the market already that everyone is kind of excited by. So we've kind of switched that around a little bit. I'm not going to say that it's, it's just easy to kind of do something like that. There was a number of different things that came together that was part luck and you know part fortitude that allowed us to kind of build this uh, pilot. But once we built it, we're using that for everything that we can to kind of build that into our entry point into the market. For everything you do, you just have to try to find that entry point. Something that the market finds interesting might not be the same thing in Asia that it was in Europe. And it's only by kind of, like I said, churning through in the market and figuring out what works that you can actually make it happen. Once you have that little entry point, then you can expand it with seminars and with advertising and whatever you want to do, bigger outreach, but you need to figure out what's your secret sauce. I think getting that first success story is the hardest. And then it never gets easy, but comparatively, once you have something solid, then yeah. you can expand from there. What do you consider to be the role of partnerships? Not necessarily in the context of selling your solution to a bigger company, but maybe with others in your industry in the context of a chatbot, for example. This could be an e-commerce What's your role on working with potential partners to grow your reputation and share in the market? So I think one thing I say almost every time I speak to a new potential client or vendor or whatever, it's we're very relationship oriented. Everything we do is really about trying to figure out win-win scenarios between multiple parties. And I think even frenemies in the, in the market could be interesting, right? So in the case of, for example, chatbots, we wouldn't try for Kavai to take on a role as a customer service chatbot because we're advertising chatbot. Every time we've tried to take on a role that is outside of what we're supposed to do, then technology falls down and no one's happy. So rather than do that, we would 
maybe call out to you know one of the other chatbot companies and say hey let's do this one together because it makes more sense and at the end of the day you have to kind of think about the end value for your client right and actually that brings me on to almost full circle to where we started it's all about reputation right so if you try to sell your client something that you know is not going to be good down the track then you're going to have a pretty short time in this industry no matter what you do really so you know my reputation the company's reputation the tech companies that we represent reputation all of this stuff needs to be maintained and you need to be able to deliver what you say you're going to deliver otherwise brand dies quickly What's the saying? No quicker way to kill a brand than to kind of put money behind the bad product experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The product versus marketing conversation comes comes into play all the time. Mm-hmm. You have to do both, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have a great product and put a lot of money behind that. But when you do have that product that it has the product market fit, and then you know shifting gears a little bit to focus on the marketing side of things is important. But you have to do both, and you have to do them hand in hand. And that feedback loop from the marketing conversations, the B2B sales conversations, then feed, feeds back into product development again. So it's kind of this virtual cycle of, of product and marketing working hand in hand and improving each other, actually. Mm, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I want to ask a burning question that I think a lot of startup founders have, which is building relationships and establishing a reputation in the marketplace takes a long time. What if they are impatient and they need results six months from now? <laughs> we don't have three years to build our yeah. reputation in the marketplace. We don't have time to figure out um, who's who in the company. We need results. What do you say to startup founders who have this mindset? I'm trying to think of successful startups I know of and how long time it took, right? And I think I have two buddies back in Norway. They both started unicorns and uh, you know billion-dollar companies. It took time. And when I look at what they did in the, in the initial two or three years, it was all reputational. It was all delivering on everything that they were going to deliver on. The fuel they poured to the, the fire happened after that. So I don't know. I think people always see the success story the last year of that 10-year journey, and they conclude that, oh, they achieved this success in one year. But yeah, in reality, it takes a much longer. It's the 10-year overnight success story, right? classic startup exactly. yeah yeah exactly i mean there are some exceptions i guess right but there really are exceptions i think most things you do there, there's going to be a hell of a lot of uh, elbow grease in the first two to three years the results that are eventually leading to your success they're probably already there to be seen but it's stuff that you only understand in hindsight right so it's a bit like that, I think, that you kind of build a strong foundation in the beginning, and then that gives you the, the ramp to scale uh, at a later stage. But if your foundation is rotten, it doesn't take much for, for things to fall apart. But I don't have a good uh, statistical argument for this. This is just kind of my what I'm seeing. Exactly. Fantastic. Let me try and summarize some of the things that we've been talking about. So we started off by talking about the role of brand marketing for B2B startups. And you had this really nice anecdote of, will the world become a better place with my product? And that's a really nice way to get the brand conversation going. And will people want to talk about us? You know, What can we do for our brand for people to actually want to talk about us? And you spoke a little bit about Sales Screen, which is a B2B SaaS company that builds on top of your existing CRM. And 
And really that focus on how do we actually focus in our sales story and in our pitch story and our pilot story on making life better for salespeople through better visualization, better gamification, sales tactics. So there's an example of a company who know exactly what their product does. And that was used to try and get those pilots going. And you spoke a lot about the process, uh, which is number one, what types of organizations need my product? That's a really good starting point. And then how do we get pilots going with those types of organizations? Uh, and almost that sort of market agitation that you spoke about earlier, like what does the market actually need? And that feedback often comes from those conversations that you have with the different prospective companies that you work with. And essentially every conversation is market feedback and that improves your product as we spoke about there towards the end. And that mental model that you spoke about in, uh, in getting your foot in the door is really those warm introductions are key. And the difference to cold intros is astronomical, as you pointed out. Who's the final decision maker? Who are the influencers along the way? And how do you map your own network on who can make those warm introductions to either the actual decision makers or the key influencers? And in those conversations, getting product feedback is, is really, really powerful. We also spoke about how to build those pilots, like understand the business that you're in and understand really the business that the business is in that you're selling to, right? And the goals that they may have and the, and the performance gaps may have. Then use your advisors, use your own knowledge of that industry and those companies to gear your pilots towards addressing those gaps. Even if they address them at a smaller scale at first, get your foot in the door, prove the business results, and you're more likely to succeed. And at the end of the day, it's that brand reputation and positioning that helps. And I thought it was a really good insight also to make sure that your product and your presentation does not destroy the reputation of the influencers that you're talking to. And in speaking about some of the different strategies, the length of the sales cycle can also influence a lot on whether you want to go direct to companies and pilot versus broader marketing. And at the end of the day, we also spoke about the fact that the key is to get your first success story in a market and scale from there. And ultimately, finding those win-win situations with companies in the market can actually help you scale early on. But I think if I'd summarize in one sentence, it really does come down to reputation and building relationships. And unfortunately, it does take time to do this. Shortcuts rarely work. And a lot of elbow grease is needed to, uh, to get that success going. Anything we missed out? No, I think that's uh, beautifully put, Thomas. That's uh, better than I could have said it myself. Again, my, uh, my backup career as a podcast summarizer is really coming to play here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Lars, for taking the time. Thank you to all of our listeners uh, today. Um, it's been a great conversation with Lars. We're going to share some of these things, uh, some of the links to the cases and the companies that Lars mentioned in our show notes and check him out from there. Thank you very much, Honor. It was, it's a great conversation as always. Likewise. Thanks, Lars. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Strategy and Sourdough. We'd love to get any feedback, questions, or topic suggestions you may have. Drop us a line at hello at strategyandsourdough.com. 